Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Phil Swanson here, and today, taking some time to share with you specifically some things that have been on my mind a lot this week, and these things are extremely important to me, and I think for every successful person, they have certain tools in their toolbox that they like to use and have helped propel them to where they are today. Specifically, today is all about effectiveness and different strategies for being more effective. And if you follow me on social media, you may have heard some of these, but I want to run through some of the things that have helped me the most in being effective in aspects of my life. And I'm not perfect at these. I'm working on some of these. Some of them are brand new to me. But I really think that for most people, they have those one or two or three tricks that they've really just changed their worldview. They've, they've changed the way they look at things. They've changed the way they can affect other people, and they've changed the way they can get things done and accomplish things. So I want to share these with you and walk through, and, and hopefully they can impact you as much as they've impacted me. I actually posted on my social media today asking for input from people because I want to know what all you all do and what tools you have in your toolbox that are helping you be more effective. And these are just mine and these are just a small list of mine. So here we go. Number one, and I cannot tell you how much this one has helped me. And I'm not even that great at it, to be completely honest. If you have ever wanted to absorb information quickly, there is no better way to do it. Audiobooks are slow, slow, slow. Reading with an audible voice in your head the way I used to read is slow, slow, slow. Watching videos is extremely slow. It is a slow way to learn. Are they effective? Sure. Visual especially can be extremely effective. Reading slow and digesting can also be extremely effective. However, it takes up a lot of time, and many of us don't have that much time. And a while back, I decided that I was going to look into speed reading. It was actually after I read The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and he talked about speed reading. I looked up some of his strategies that he uses, and I cannot tell you how much speed reading has impacted my life in a positive way. It helps everything I do. It helps how quickly I can review procedures and letters and emails and get through mail. And it's just helped me so much to understand speed reading strategies. And I have a video with details on some of these speed reading strategies. If you haven't looked into speed reading strategies, message me, DM me. We can talk about it. There are so many quick, easy, like seriously, we could have one conversation and you could read three or four times as fast. That sort of speed reading strategies. It's just incredible. So one of the biggest tips too, that really helped me for whatever reason, I thought you had to read every word of a book and you don't, you just don't. If you're reading for personal benefit, you're not reading to take a test. You're not reading to 
be quizzed on something or become a total expert. You just want to soak up whatever knowledge you can. You do not have to read every word of that book. You can skim through it. There's, there's strategies for getting the big points out of it. So there's so many ways to speed up how you absorb information. So speed reading, tip number one. Tip number two, I can't thank my parents enough for forcing me when I was younger to practice speaking. And we did a lot of memorized speeches, so it was more of a memorization and then public recitation. But practicing that alone was such a big help to me because I was used to getting up in front of people. And then we were a musical family too, so I was used to performing. I had to do solos and band and choir. I had to sing in front of people. I was in athletics, so I had to perform. I was always in front of people doing things. And that is so important because you're always going to be in front of people doing things in your life. And I can't tell you how it's so, it's funny. I mean, Seinfeld has a stand-up routine about how people would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy at a funeral because they're so scared of public speaking even more than death. So get over your fear of public speaking and get out there and speak in front of people. It's so important. You have to be able to communicate and the most powerful, effective way to communicate with anybody is in person with your voice. There is no better way to communicate. Yeah, you can communicate quickly via text, email, online commenting, blogs, whatever. There's plenty of ways to communicate in person with your voice and your body language is the best way. And I didn't practice for a long time impromptu speaking. But what I've realized now that I've begun to practice it is the people that are really good at impromptu speaking, it's not that they're just good at impromptu speaking. They have prepared. They are extremely prepared. They are so darn prepared that when they get asked impromptu, they know exactly how to respond and respond in a way where they're not stuttering. They're not using ands and ums and buts and ors and beating around the bush. They know their words, they know their topic, they know their subject matter, and they respond. And so that is so critical. You got to understand this. People that speak impromptu, they're prepared. They're very prepared. They have put in many hours. And this is what people don't see. That's what, when you see these successful people, you think, man, you know, they can just get up there and do that. Or, or man, that just must come natural. It doesn't come natural. Some people might have a tendency or be better at it than others, but it does not come natural. They have practiced. They have put in time. And they are prepared. So practice your speaking. One good way that um, I'm practicing it right now, video. Video yourself. Putting yourself out there also in, in social and in the, in the media sphere is nerve-wracking. It puts a level of intimidation and intensity into your speaking practice. And it's, great. it's a great tool to use. And I used to video myself all the time when I would do music practice and practicing solos and things. You got to record yourself. You need to know what you look like. You need to know how you sound. You need to know how people are going to see you to know how you can be the most effective at presentation. So great tool, public speaking, so important. If you need to practice it, Toastmasters is a great organization that I've heard many recommend. I'm a part of it. And it's a really terrific organization that has a lot to offer and very, very low cost there. Writing. When I was younger, we were forced to do some long writing assignments. And I practiced my writing, typing more specifically. We, we used to do some 
actually physically writing by hand and writing ability and being able to communicate quickly in words is great. But what I've realized is in the actual world, the shorter and more compact you can make your message, especially written, is better because people can't absorb these long groups of text. They just won't read it. I don't know if you've experienced this, but people just do not want to read. And part of it's because they can't read very fast and digest that information very fast. And another part of it is they just get so much information thrown at them. They don't know where to focus their time and they don't think they have time to focus on it. So the easier you can make it on people by crafting your message in a very short, concise way is an extremely effective strategy to communicate with your writing, with emails, with chat, with whatever. So um, keep that in mind. That's just a really great tool is being able to write effectively. And also, I can't tell you how often I see people who literally cannot type worth a crap. (laughs) They just can't. They haven't learned to type. The computer's been around for 20 plus years and they're still pecking away at their keyboard Take a typing class. If you get overwhelmed by emails and are not a, a fast typer, there, there could be reasons why. I mean, you might have physical ailments or whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking to totally healthy, perfectly fine people who have just simply refused to learn how to, to, how to type. You need to learn. And I really just don't think there's an excuse to not know these days. You need to know how to type. And if you're in a high-performing role that has to respond to a lot of emails and you can't type, I have no clue how you would even remotely be effective in that role. So learn how to type. It's what we need to do these days. Um, we're getting to a point where you can maybe do text-to-speech and, and maybe we'll get past it someday. But I still think it's a super valuable tool. You need to learn how to type. One thing that really excelled my college career is understanding what it means to be good enough versus perfection. And I graduated cum laude. I was top of my class in engineering. I had like a 3.5 GPA. You know, I didn't have a 4.0, but I did well. But one thing I was really good at, and my roommates used to get frustrated with me because I didn't, you know, I didn't put in the kind of time that some of them did. And I would still do just about as well or as well. And they'd get frustrated. They're like, you know, what what are you doing? Well, I knew what I needed to do to be good enough. And maybe that's not the right approach sometimes. I mean, for Christians, we want to do everything to the glory of God. But from my perspective, I knew what I needed to do to get the grade that I needed. And I knew that there's a point of diminishing return where I could, you know, continue to learn and learn and learn and learn. And I'm going to get no value out of that return back to me. And it's like that for every endeavor you ever pursue. There's a point of diminishing return where you don't get any value back. So you need to understand what it means to be good enough versus being a perfectionist or, or going above and beyond. Because I think, I think the person that goes above and beyond isn't necessarily going above and beyond in one thing. They're doing many things good enough. And shape your perspective around that. You need to do tasks good enough to accomplish the task for the purpose it was designed, for the result you're trying to get. And the above and beyond piece is not going above and beyond for no value to anybody, but your own pride. 
it's going above and beyond to help even more people and do more tasks. So good enough versus perfection. You got to balance that and you got to know the right balance. The 80-20 rule, very similar, 20%. It's a a theory that 20% of the work we do actually achieves 80% of the results. There's a lot of uh, literature on this. You can look it up. Um, I just think this is a super valuable rule. It's helped me. The concepts helped me to understand that there's a very small percentage of what we do day to day that actually brings value and actually achieves the results. So you need to focus on the 20% and let a lot of the 80% go. So that's a super valuable rule. If you're not familiar with that, you can go look it up. Keep that in mind. Email strategies, keeping up with email. It's so important today. We get so many emails. If you can reduce email traffic for people, people will love you. They'll absolutely love you if you can reduce their email traffic or make it easy for them to navigate an email. So here's a, here's a nice email structure. Number one, put the most important thing you're looking for at the top. Don't make them go dig for it. Don't put your question at the end of the email. And I'm guilty of this sometimes, so you know we can all improve. Put what you want at the top and put supporting information in the body and at the bottom so that someone who reads it, if they need more information, they can go look. But if not, they can be done with it. And they don't have to read the whole email. Also, never ask an open-ended question on an email. If-then statements are extremely effective in email. So you write an email. Hey, what about this? If the answer is this, then do this. If the answer is this, then do that. So that way, there's not an email exchange. You want to do everything you can to eliminate an exchange via email. Emails are like sending a letter. And you, you don't want to have to be writing a bunch of letters back and forth. It's just a bunch of work. So... Really good strategy is make a phone call, talk it out, have a meeting, document via email with one email. Don't don't try to have that conversation over emails. Also, if you get an email and you can sp- respond within two minutes, then just respond. Just respond right away. And my personal strategy is to keep up with email. So as emails come in, I read them and I action them. And if I need to do something about it, maybe I un- maybe I mark it unread, maybe I flag it, you know, maybe I throw it in my calendar. But you read emails as they come in, and so that way you don't have this backlog of stuff that is stressing on you, like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what's there, what all's there that I could have to do. And then you miss things, too, and you become ineffective. So you got to keep up with your email, read them as they come in. If you can respond right away, do it, and uh, proactively try to reduce email traffic for people, and train other people how to do that, too. Train other people how to reduce email traffic. If you can do that for your organization, you're going to be so much more efficient. Your whole organization will be so much more efficient. Taking calculated risks. This is one I'm still learning. And as an engineer, we're very risk averse. We're trained to engineer out the risk. I'm having to learn that it is absolutely critical to take calculated risks and for me, it's been kind of uncomfortable um, putting myself out there on social media, starting a podcast, starting businesses. It's been something I'm not used to. It's it's something new, and it's very uncomfortable. However, successful people have always taken risks. It doesn't come easy. There's no get rich quick. Certain people have gotten rich much faster than others, for sure, and and. You know, our goal isn't necessarily to be rich. It is to impact and help as many people as we can. But you're you're never going to have a big impact if you don't take risks. You're just not. So 
you're going to have to take risks at some point. They need to be calculated. You need to understand the potential consequences of those, and you just need to own it. And for those engineers out there who might be a little risk-averse, come talk to me, and let's work together and help each other become a little better risk-minded and take those calculated risks in order to be successful. One thing I see people missing all the time, they just don't pick up the phone. They could easily resolve issues if they picked up the phone. And I can't tell you how many times I'll hear secondhand about some guy who was concerned with this and doesn't know. And it's like, well, you know, did you, did you call him? No. Well, why are you telling me about it? Like pick up the phone and call them. What, what are you waiting for? The worst example I can think of is when someone says, oh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting on so-and-so. You're waiting on so-and-so for what? Oh, they, they never got back to me on this thing. Um, well, did you call them? No. Well, why didn't you call them? Well, I don't know. Well, the, the due date was yesterday and we're meeting on it right now and you're responsible for it, but you're blaming so-and-so for not getting it to you, but you didn't even call them to follow up. I'm telling you, I've heard that countless times since I've been in the corporate world and it's just shocking. Like it's really shocking. Take ownership. If you owe somebody something, get it. Go get it. Don't wait for other people. You need to go get it. Pick up the phone and go get the information you need to get your job done, to get that task done, to accomplish your goal, whatever you need to do. Don't wait on other people. You make it happen. And hold people accountable. Hold yourself accountable. Own it. One thing I'm still learning how to do and be better at is use less words in presentations. I know we're this is a podcast, right? So it's a lot of words. But when giving presentations, when you're showing visuals to support your oratory and, and your words, use less words. Use more images. Use images that convey your message and, and allow you to better speak to the message you're trying to convey. And don't focus on filling up a bunch of slides with words. I see so many slide decks and things that are just full of words. And, and I guess that's great for some purposes if people aren't going to be going to the meetings and they just need something they can read and, and supplement later. But if they need something they can read later, type it up in a Word document. It doesn't need to be in a PowerPoint. A PowerPoint or presentations, they're for visual aids for communicating with your mouth and your words and sounds. PowerPoint is not for documenting information. So that's just one of my opinions. You know, there's, there's other opinions out there, but I've found it very effective. I've learned from some people that, that have taught me recently some really effective strategies around building presentations that have been very helpful. So use more pictures, less words, speak to things, have good talking points and be able to speak to the things you're trying to communicate. Planning your day. Lots of people do this night before. I think the most effective people, they plan their weeks, they plan their months, they plan their years, they plan their decades, and they plan and adjust their plan the night before every single day. I personally have not done this. I'm a morning planner, and I think a lot at night, so I you know, I have an idea for the next day, but I don't really actually plan it out until the morning, and I'm not 100% consistent with every morning planning it out because lots of times we just get pulled into things or... Things happen, but you know you always got to adjust. I have found though it's super effective. You sh- if you sit down at the beginning of the day, look at your brain dump. You know, brain dumping is another strategy where you write down everything you could possibly do. 
You make sure you schedule things. So you got your calendar for the day, but you also need to look back at your brain dump that's prioritized and see what are your most important tasks that need to move forward and find those six things, the big six, that you need to move forward that day. So no matter what happens, you moved six of the most important. And this really kind of goes back to that 80-20 rule. You know you have these things that need to move. These are the most important. You know they're the most important. You can do 100 other things that day, but you need to move those six. You need to move them forward. And if you don't, it's fine. You get to it another day, but it's super helpful. It, it has a real focus for your day, and it'll help you be super effective in moving through your day. My next tip was brain dumping. We talked a little bit about that, but that's where you, you really just dump everything out of your brain. De-stress. Get it all on paper. Have it lined up in its different categories in your life. It might be a work category, a church category, a business category, a family category, whatever. You got your different to-do lists is what I used to call them, but now I call it a brain dump. You just dump everything out. You prioritize it, sort through it, plan things on your calendar that need to get done and prioritize that list. And it's just been a super helpful way for me to de-stress and not have all these thoughts in my head of, oh man, I, what about all the things I'm forgetting to do? If you take time to dump everything out of your brain that you could possibly need to do, then it's all right there. And you don't have to worry like you're missing something. This one is kind of abstract, but I'll share with you anyway. Don't practice meaningless tasks. Practice the right feelings. What do I mean by that? Back in baseball, I actually may have, um, this is this is one of my interesting stories, but I we would practice certain um, swings, certain techniques, and, and do things that were a little unconventional. Um, but it was all about putting yourself, baseball, anything, any sport, it's all about putting yourself in a position to be successful more often, right? So if I can put my body in a successful position more often, then I'm more often than not going to be successful than if I was in a bad position, right? And this is one of the reasons why steroids and HGH and those types of things are so effective. It's not necessarily because they make you stronger. Yeah, they do that, but they also help you heal quicker, and for an athlete that plays a game every single day, like baseball players, their body gets broken down and they get sore. And, and when that happens, you're not able to as consistently put your body in a position to be successful. So if you can take something that helps you heal faster and not have all those aches and pains, that can be an extremely effective way to be more successful. And you can practice more on top of that, right? So when you think about practicing... You need to feel what success feels like. You need to figure out how to feel what success feels like and repeat it at whatever task you're doing. And it's not about just doing an exercise that doesn't make sense to you. And that's one of the reasons I used to get frustrated oftentimes is because I was asked to do exercises that made no sense to me. They didn't feel right. They they did not help me long-term, straight up, didn't, but there's baseball is one of the worst examples of this where there's all there's all these legacy like drills that people invented one day and they're like hey just do this a million times and you know it's going to help your swing well it might not it might help some people swing because that allows them to feel what they need to feel to get their body in the right position but for other people it might not allow them to feel what they need to feel to get their body in the right position so i think it's like this with Speaking, I think it's like this at work. I think it's like this with the way you dress. I think it's like 
this with the way you walk into a store and the way you carry yourself in public. I think it's like this while you're driving and how you're going to act while you're driving. How do the people you want to be like act in every situation in life? And how does it feel to act like that? And what can you do to put yourself in a position to be like that and act like that and feel like that more often? And the more often you feel that success, the more likely you are to build that habit of success. So practice the right feelings. Don't practice meaningless tasks. Communicate, communicate, communicate. You cannot over-communicate. You can't over-communicate in some instances. I take that back. But, man, communication is so hard. My grandma used to say communication at best is poor. It is so true. Communication at best is poor. And you can work so hard. I work so hard at being an effective communicator. I definitely am not in some instances, and I have a lot to learn still. It's amazing how you can really try so hard to be very effective at something and still fall short. And I think every successful person knows that no matter what you do, you're going to have failures along the way. And with communication, it's probably the most challenging aspect of anything you'll ever do is making sure you're communicating effectively. It's very hard to do. So think about communication. Think about how you can communicate more effectively communicate more frequently, communicate in different ways. And one of the best strategies I've heard is literally ask people, like if you have a team, ask your team individually in their one-on-one sessions, how would how do you want me to communicate with you? Are there things that would would kind of pain you? Like I had a guy on my team one time, he didn't want me to just call him out of the blue. He went, He wanted a text message saying, call me when you get a minute. Unless it was an emergency. That was what he would prefer. And so I wrote that down. And instead of calling him out of the blue, which is my preference, I would much rather just have someone pick up the phone and call me. I actually hate it when I get a text message that's like, hey, man, call me when you get a minute. Like, you're giving me a to-do list item. Just I have a cell phone. Just call me. If I can answer, great. If I can't, I'll call you back. So, you know, I'm. that's just me, right? That's one opinion perspective that's just my preference right I don't mind a text message really and and I don't really hate it that much so don't you know don't think I'm like freaking out over here but some people those little things just rub them the wrong way and if you can avoid those little pain points you can be so much more effective with your communication so asking people what they prefer in communication is an extremely effective strategy absolutely so effective if you haven't employed that I highly recommend you do it It's an extremely great way to build rapport with your team and help them learn. You have to teach people how to communicate with you. You really do. You have to train them how to communicate with you. And I haven't been very good at this, so I'm I'm something I'm working on. But you really do need to teach people how how to communicate with you, and you need to learn how to communicate with them, right? So think about that. That's one that's really helped me. One of the biggest things that can help you be effective is being a problem solver. And that's something I've always been good at. I think it's the engineer in me. Sometimes like when we're having the conversation with your wife, there's an old, I think it was a Super Bowl commercial where the the lady has a, a nail in her head and she's talking to her husband and 
she's like, oh, my head hurts so bad. And she's going on and on and on. And the guy's just trying to like take the nail out of her head. But all she wants him to do is listen. You know, that there's a time for that, right? But in in the business world, we need to be problem solvers. And problem may not be a good word. I think they're challenges. And, you know, when challenges arise, how do you, how do you approach challenges and different challenges in your business? Do you cower? Do you go complain? Or do you attack those head on and go solve those things? And the attitude shouldn't be, how can I solve it? It should be, who can solve this for me? How can we solve this? So don't have the perspective that you need to go solve everything, but do have the perspective of who can solve this, who do we need to engage, who do we need to talk to that can make this happen. So many times I'll hear secondhand that so-and-so has an issue with this thing, and it's, it's like, well, why didn't they just tell me about it and let me solve it for them. It just kind of baffles me. It's like, you didn't think to call, like who who have they called or who have they asked or what have they done about that thing that they're so frustrated about? That's such a big problem that they feel like they need to go tell everybody about, and they haven't done a thing about it. So take some ownership. These problems with your organization, many of them are easily solvable and many of them probably are just a communication gap. Honestly, like People aren't that stupid. Like, yeah, there's stupid people out there, but people that we work with day to day, everybody's generally pretty smart, has a pretty good level head on their shoulder, and give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, if they if you think they're doing something stupid, ask yourself, well, what would I have done in that situation? And then ask yourself, do I even have all the information that that individual has? Because you probably don't. And it was probably just a misstep in communication that made you go, well, why'd they do that? That doesn't make any sense. You know, people don't just go around making stupid decisions on purpose, right? They, They think them through. They're trying to do the best they can for the most part. And we're all human. We're all gonna fail. But think about how you can be a problem solver and not a churn creator. So many people just create churn in organizations and all this gossip and, oh, that's a stupid idea and why'd they do that? Well, why'd they do that? Why didn't you say something? Why aren't you talking to them about it? You know, (laughs) you complaining about it and blabbing your mouth and, and hurting your culture is not the right solution to problems. You can solve them. You can take ownership. You can go call. You can figure out who you need to talk to and do it professionally. Do it happily. Do it cheerfully. That's what we're here for. We're here to help. And ultimately, that's what leaders do. That's what the best leaders do. They're happy. They're there to serve. They're there to help. And they're there to try to make not only themselves the most effective, but their teams and the people around them and the people above them as effective as possible. So these are just some of my strategies, guys. There's some of the things that have really helped me. I hope they help you. They were on my mind this week, and so I felt passionate about sharing them with you. Hope they brought you value. Hope you all have a great night and a great week, and you all keep going and leading everything. If you enjoyed today's show, give it a five-star rating. Follow, subscribe, and head on over to GoLeadEverything.com to learn more about the Go Lead Everything movement. For more great content daily, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at RealPhilSwanson.com. 
Facebook and LinkedIn at Philip Swanson. And for videos of these episodes and other great video content daily, subscribe to the Philip Swanson channel on YouTube. That's Philip with one L like the Bible. Now go lead everything.